Section 18 of The Door of the Unreal by Gerald Biss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dower House in the Hollow, Part 3. I rose without a word and opened one of the long windows. It was a glorious spring night, and the moon was shining white and cold and clear, only a small portion invisible and on the verge of coming to fullness, a bare four nights before Walpurgis knocked. Grimly I looked up at it in the sky, ill-omened and portentous, and I never loved the moon less, loathing it for those subtle, undefined qualities that draw out the worst in the elemental world and affect the spiritual side of humanity so strangely. Lovers may rave about the moon and write odes, little realizing her harsh cynicism and utter lack of human sympathy, but I shall always have an instinctive horror and dislike of that cold white face in the sky luring on the unsuspecting to the things beyond. We stepped out onto the terrace and walked right to the far end in silence. Then suddenly Burgess turned and gripped my arm with a force that almost made me wince. Link, he asked in a curiously strangled voice, what about Dorothy? For God's sake, tell me the worst or the best. I turned and faced him, my heart full of pity and a deeper sympathy than I had ever dreamt of. Poor old man, I said in a quiet voice, you needn't tell me how things are with you. I have guessed it from the very first time I ever saw you and Dorothy together, and Anne knows it too. You will have to be brave and face possibilities, but there is hope, and you must not give up hope while it still exists. Of one thing I am certain, that Dorothy has never yet suffered metamorphosis, that so far she is a young girl, pure and simple, and has never taken wolf shape or been any party to these ghastly raids. Ah, breathed Burgess deeply, a strange deep breath of relief and anguish combined. Moreover, I continued, laying my hand on his arm sympathetically. She shows no sign whatever to my eyes or understanding of inherited lycanthropy. There is some mystery behind the whole thing, but she does not suggest it in any single detail, however trifling, nor does she seem in any way part of the old professor. She impresses me as being wholly of her mother, not only physically, but by nature. However, there are two types of lycanthropy, inherited and acquired. And what makes me the more sure that she is not lycanthropic by heredity is that there are obvious signs that Professor Wolfe, and probably Anna Brunolf as well, is clearly trying to impregnate her, not, I fear, without a certain measure of success. Burgess started, and I heard him swear under his breath. Steady, old chap, I went on. It's no good cursing these foul hybrid obscenities. We shall want all our wits to pit against them, if we are to win through and save the dear girl's immortal soul. That is part of the high stakes we are playing for, and we have to face facts, frankly. Before God, Burge, I swear that, if it be humanly possible, I will save her for your sake as well as for her own, but I shall want all your help, your coolest and best brains and nerves and I explained to him in detail the signs I had seen of the attempts to impregnate the girl, culminating in the episode of the horrible orange flower with the black pustules and the deadliness of its moral significance, an episode which, up to that moment, had been kept a dead secret between Dorothy and myself, by instinct on her side, by deliberate intent on mine. Then I went further, detailing the points that were symptomatic of success, the increasing vividness of the red of her lips, the strange narrowing of her eyes, 
her susceptibility to the influence of fur, her growing fondness of it, and the habit of wearing it almost as a natural thing, and finally, her increasing distaste for sweet things, and her growing liking openly confessed for meat in its raw state. All little things, but horribly suggestive, each in its own significant way, and in combination, well-nigh conclusive to my mind. We cannot say definitely, I concluded judiciously, how far the poison has worked, or how far the damage has been done, but I fear the worst to be candid. My own idea is that the professor in his devilish mind is trying to time her first metamorphosis for Walpurgis Noct, next Tuesday that ever is. Oh, God! exclaimed Burgess in that horribly strangled voice so foreign to him. Oh, God! Can nothing be done? I shook my head. At the moment, nothing, old friend. Indeed, we might defeat our own purpose by any premature action. We have got to prove our conclusions, however deeply we may ourselves believe and bank on our premises. Nevertheless, there is one strong gleam of hope in the situation for you, for all of us. If lycanthropy be acquired by extraneous means, such as I have detailed to you, such acquired lycanthropy can be equally exercised with the will and consent of the impregnated person, and the impregnation can be purged. Keep that before your mind, and let us hope while there is hope. Now do you not agree with me, with Manders, that this hell-brood must be destroyed, wiped out, and put beyond the pale and possibility of further harm and deeds of ghastliness? Indeed I do, said Burgess fervently, with as much determination as ever a man put into his voice. Indeed I do. I am master of myself again, Link. You'll be the first to understand and forgive this momentary weakness, and I will fight with every fiber of my being to save the soul, and I trust the future life of Dorothy, for as you have guessed, I love her. I nodded and gripped his hand, as we stood on the terrace in the bright, baleful moonlight, and I heard with a little shiver the old blue clock over the entrance to the stable yard strike midnight. It was the hour that we were ever most up against the unknown elementals, and the conditions were all favorable to them. But I intended to win against all the powers of evil arrayed against us, including the prince of the powers of darkness himself, whatever the grim cost. Show me how to do it, he said simply, as the last of the twelve notes of the old clock died away. Come inside and we'll go into the details of my plans, I answered, taking his arm and retracing our steps along the wide terrace, white in the silver light of the hard-hearted moon. We re-entered the library through the open window, which I closed behind me, and I marveled at Burgess's wonderful recovery of control. Apparently he was as cool as though it were a normal evening, and nothing untoward had been even mentioned. But his face was set, his lips compressed, and his indicative jaw pushed out, a fine, firm, strong face, but one with which no one at the moment would have cared to play the fool or take liberties. Manders and Blinkensop were in deep consultation, standing on the old Persian rug in front of the open wood fire. A drink all round, I think, said Burgess, proceeding to play host, and then to business. You fellows must excuse my absence, but the room was getting a bit hot for an open-air yokel like myself. Osgood has been good enough to put me wise upon certain essential details, and I am now completely at your disposal without reservation. In fact, I am only too anxious, now that I am with you, to pull my full weight in the boat. I may add that I accept fully, 
and am convinced of the horrible reality and truth of every word that has been spoken here in this room tonight. I cannot say more. Now, Link, what are your plans? He asked, motioning us to our seats, and I was glad to see him light a cigar by instinct, as I knew that it would soothe his strange nerves. We all resumed our chairs, and I set the ball rolling. My plans are largely subject to Blinkensop, I said, but I trust that we shall see eye to eye. He made a gesture of assent. I do not frankly anticipate active trouble of any sort before next Tuesday night, while Purgis knocked, that is, coupled with a full moon, an irresistible combination for such elementals and superphysicals. And my own view is they are saving themselves up for a grand orgy on that notable occasion with, I frankly fear, the first metamorphosis of Miss Dorothy as part of their devilish program, if she be sufficiently impregnated by then. At the new moon, and at the first quarter of the mutilation of sheep which has taken place, and is of itself characteristic of werewolf playfulness, in all keeping with my theory of leading up to a climax, which I anticipate with no small feeling of certainty at full moon, especially taking into consideration its conjunction with the great night of the year for all elemental and superphysical orgies, not least of all human sacrifice. Therefore, I am laying my plans to meet and counter what will otherwise assuredly happen on that night. I anticipate a fresh raid that night from the Dower House, probably shortly before midnight. But of course, we must be on the spot earlier ourselves, in case it should be earlier, or the venture be planned farther afield than heretofore. Nothing must be left to chance. I propose, I went on, speaking calmly but emphatically, to shoot anything in animal form that emerges from the dower house, and not only to shoot, but to shoot to kill. I saw poor old Burgess start and clench his hand. That is, in the case of two. If there be three werewolves, I shall plan in the case of the third and smallest one to shoot only to disable, preferably in the foot. I have already in waiting in this house half a dozen Winchester repeaters and the same number of Brownings, and I emphasize that at all hazards in the case of the two big wolves, which I anticipate with no small certainty, it must be death. As for the shooting party, of course, Blinkensop, as official referee, must stand aside. Unfortunately, damn it, he broke in most unofficially. But I went on, there will be Manders, Burgess, and myself. I will take the smallest wolf struck in Burgess with a prompt determination which I fully appreciated. It must be left to me. It shall, I said emphatically, realizing his reason. So don't worry any more on that score. I will take the biggest myself. Per Garou, interpolated Manders with his ever cynical little touch. And old Anna, the gaunt she-wolf, who might have been foster mother to Romulus and Remus, thus falls to my bow and arrow. Of that I am not altogether sure, I interrupted. We must have a shooting squad at the front door, and an auxiliary one to cover a possible exit at the back, though I fancy myself that the sortie will take place in the front and through the gap in the hedge. That has not been repaired yet, has it? I asked, turning to Burgess. No, not yet, he answered, but I gave orders for it to be done this afternoon. Well, please have them countermanded first thing tomorrow morning for a day or two, old chap, I said. I won't want to arouse the least suspicion or chance any of my plans going aglay. No, my dear Manders, with your kind consent, I propose to put you in charge of the backdoor squad, as I must have someone there whom I can rely upon absolutely. 
You can be round with us in no time once the shooting begins. Just as you wish, with that prompt self-effacement and cordiality that helps generalship so much. I'm entirely at your disposal in the matter, though for preference I would love a shot at old Père Garou. He has got on my nerves and makes me itch to rid the earth of his sole presence every time I think of him. Phew. And your other guns? asked Burgess quietly. I would have preferred them all amateur, I answered, but I shall be one short. I propose to enlist Verjoyce and Wellingham tomorrow and put them under Manders' command at the back. They are a couple of real sporting white youngsters and both excellent shots, as I have taken the trouble to find out. For the third gun at the front, I am a bit at a loss. Hedges, said Burgess promptly. He, like Jevons, was born and brought up on the estate, and both went through the Boer War with me in the yeomanry. I would trust them both absolutely and without reservation. I won't guarantee both of them to do anything I do or tell them to do, and not to talk. Right, I said. Then Hedges let it be. That takes a weight off my mind. I will talk with Tuverjoyce and Wellingham, volunteered Manders, if you chaps like. I know them a bit better than you do now, and they have got a bit of respect for my views and opinions, he added with a laugh. And I'll call in Blinkensop to give it a proper convincing official air. They will come in quick enough, you may be sure, if there is any excitement going. Splendid, I agreed, and Burgess shall tackle Hedges, and I think that Jevons would be told as well, as we are pretty sure to want his help, if only to cover up our tracks. I will get out a plan and work out all details, and on Sunday evening we will have a consultation. Further, without wishing it in any way to be melodramatic, I would suggest an oath of secrecy which will at least impress the youngsters and the men of the great seriousness of the undertaking. Yes, I am quite with you there, said Blenkinsop. It is quite as well and can do no possible harm. So it was agreed. And now to bed, I said. We all need our rest, and we shall want our nerves in the best possible order on Tuesday night. Our plans are now well forward, thank God. And thus we broke up. Before turning into bed, I took one long last look at the cold face of the moon out of my window, wondering what she at her hour of fullness was destined to bring forth. End of section 18